We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Will Erskine bucking the guests. In the newsroom, Dinah Weeks and Dave Woodard. So, the Queen's funeral will not mean a holiday Monday in Ontario. Eh, I don't really care. We'll cover it in class. Then, it's football. Here's Scott Thompson. Hey, uh. It's not about the uh, passing of the Queen. It's about football. There you go. Uh, good afternoon. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton Today, and all the gang is here. Feel free to jump into the fun. We would love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Uh, poll question of the day you can find on our Twitter page, New Rapid Transit Hovercraft, Serv- uh, hovercraft Service. Uh, like the old days, except not with the hovercraft. I wonder why they're using hovercrafts. We're trying to get these people on the air. Uh, between Niagara and Toronto, set to launch next summer. Would you give it a try? And yesterday, should Monday have been a stat holiday in Canada to mark the Queen's funeral? Or sorry, should Monday have been a uh, stat holiday? Should Monday be a stat holiday in Canada? And that's really where the confusion is lies. Because when everybody, when the Prime Minister stood up and said, uh, here we go, and uh, we're, we're giving a, a holiday, Everybody thought it was like a stat holiday, which means banks are closed, federally regulated businesses are closed, but really it's all just federal employees. And then the piecemeal uh, across the uh, the uh, the province goes from there. So, I mean, you know, 61% of you saying, yes, it should be a stat holiday. However, in York Region, we're finding out they don't even want you mentioning the Queen to, uh, on Monday. They don't even want, like, no playing of the song, no talking about the funeral, no symbols. They don't want anything to do with the mentioning of the Queen's funeral in York Region schools. This is a memo, and I'll read it for you later, uh, that uh, came out from the York Regional School Board saying, no no Queen, no Queen stuff. Uh, and the reason they used is that it's a trigger. Uh, and if they're, I don't know, oppression, what have you, um, that some people could uh, view this as a trigger. Uh, in some scenarios. And again, looking towards their very diverse population, um, which just makes you kind of shake your head. But then again, it was the uh, city of Markham uh, celebrating, I think it was the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic of China, flew the flag that is now, of course, being ruled by the Chinese Communist Party at Markham City Hall. So, so it's like, you know, I can understand, you know, uh, the debate between should you have it on, should you have it off. But I think at the end of the day, uh, there is no debate that, you know, considering the 70 years on the throne, it is worth at least talking about and at least acknowledging. Uh, but that's uh, what is happening up in York Region. We'll talk about that coming up uh, a little later on. Oh, and a footnote to that, uh, Education Minister Stephen Lecce found out about this memo, and you can read it on our website at 900CHML.com, and it's very, very clear as to what it's what it's asking, uh, and that is no mention of the Queen whatsoever. Uh, Lecce has said none of that, and, you know, you're going to observe the moment of silence like we've asked everybody to do at 1 o'clock, please, and you're going to reflect on the day and talk about the history that's going on right now. 
so yeah, bizarre debates uh, having uh, are being had uh, in regard to this whole situation. And you know, I thought the debate, you know, you know, geez, should they have it off? Should they be in school? Should they have it off? Uh, no, not only should they be in school, but they shouldn't be talking about it at all. Uh, bizarre, bizarre things happening. All right. That being said, in regard to the Queen uh, lying in state at uh, Westminster Hall and the lineups are just absolutely unbelievable. We've heard that some people have been waiting up as much as 30 hours to get through uh, the line six to seven kilometers uh, long, uh, stretching into uh, to get into Sear. So it is uh, just an incredible uh, situation going on. And uh, we've also heard that Canadians going to the funeral, the Governor General, of course, the Prime Minister, of course, but also past Prime Ministers Kim Campbell, Paul Martin, Jean Chrétien, uh, Stephen Harper also going, and celebrities Sandra Oh from Grey's Anatomy. I don't know. Uh, so there you go. It's uh, Slowly this is all uh, starting to come together, and, uh, and we're hearing more and more about what is going to happen on Monday. All right, uh, in the House of Commons today, uh, parties paying uh, tribute, except for the block. They were uh, kind of vocal about how they feel about the Queen, and we know which direction that went in. Uh, but uh, let's play a, a clip of the uh, three leaders and uh, start with Jagmeet Singh of the NDP, what he had to say. Loss of language and culture, violence and war are the legacies of a colonial past. I believe the new king has an opportunity and a responsibility to do what he can to right the wrongs of the past. He must mourn this most profound loss before the eyes of the world while ensuring that he lives up to her example of duty above all else. I hope that he will meet the challenge of reconciliation that has been laid out by First Nations leaders and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, that's Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP. Going to play a clip now from Pierre Polyev, leader of the Conservatives. In her 22 visits here and her dealings with 13 prime ministers, she exhibited the virtues we most cherish. Div- dignity, civility, humility, candor, and above all else, service. And from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Queen Elizabeth served her duties and her peoples up until the end there for all of us until her final moments. We shall all miss her immensely, but I know, we all know, that our new sovereign, His Majesty King Charles III, will uphold these very values that we speak to today and continue her legacy. Our country came of age under her reign. It was Her Majesty who proclaimed and signed the Constitution Act of 1982 and our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. These pillars of our democracy help uphold the stability of our country and keep us free. All right, uh, various leaders, including the Prime Minister, Pierre Polyev, and uh, uh, Jagmeet Singh paying tribute to the Queen today and offering their own comments as uh, the new King takes over. Uh, in the block, they were a little less courteous, uh, but that's their position on all of this, and they made that known as well. Uh, we're going to cover that uh, in more detail towards the end or middle of the show. Also going to talk about Ukraine and Russia, and it, it seems that uh, Ukraine is is holding its 
its own, and many are asking what comes next. We're going to talk about that coming up this hour. Also, Colin DeMello is going to be joining us from Queen's Park, uh, talking about that story about the York Regional School Board, uh, intentions between them and the uh, education minister over uh, how to handle the funeral of September 19th, uh, the Queen's funeral. Uh, Col- and Colin will talk about York Region uh, sending a memo out that said they don't want uh, this funeral uh, or the day being acknowledged uh, in any way for it may be a triggering event for some students. We'll talk about that coming up. Also, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin uh, meeting with the Chinese president and thanking him for his balanced approach to the Ukraine crisis. What does that all mean? We'll talk about that a little little later in the hour as well. It's been over six months since Russia invaded Ukraine. And, uh, you know, things started to lull for a while in in the last several weeks. And it it seems in the last little while that uh, Ukraine is uh, recapturing some some of the territory that it had lost earlier uh, to Russia. Uh, This has also uh, enabled them to ask for more and ask for more reinforcement to, uh, you know, signaling that they are getting the job done and they just need more help. To talk more about all of this and what the future holds and and an update of where we are now, Oral Brown is with us, Professor of International Relations, Senior Member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto and with us now. Oral, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you. So we hear that uh, Ukraine is making gains. We hear that uh, they have some re- uh, retaken some area, some territory that was previously uh, previously lost to Russia. What does this signal? What does this say to you, Oral? It is an indelible and urgent message, and it's a kind of trifurcated message. It is one that is meant for the Russians. It is also meant for the people of Ukraine. And it is also directed at Western allies that have been helping Ukraine. So uh, with this success, uh, obviously, does that bolster the chances of getting more backup, more ammunition, more of the, uh, the military uh, infrastructure they need to continue? It will certainly make sense to do that because... What the government of President Zelensky has demonstrated is that against all odds, they have not only stopped the Russians, but they demonstrated capacity through grit and uh, through uh, imaginative planning to push the Russians back. To give us an idea of how significant this is, the amount of territory that they have taken back from the Russians is roughly the size of Lebanon. Hmm. Now, this is uh, not a vast amount when you compare it to the territory of Russia itself, but it is not insignificant. And the fact that the Russian military just collapsed, they literally ran away, indicates the vulnerability of the Russian military, how deeply the corruption has seized that military, and that if the Ukrainian forces are properly equipped, they can do the job. They're not asking for Western forces to go to Ukraine, fight and die for them. They are willing to defend their own land, but the message is that they need the tools, they need the weapons that uh, are uh, used now so effectively, but they need a great deal more. And in some of the capitals in Europe, there was some wavering. The Germans have uh, been extremely slow in providing aid, despite uh, positive rhetoric. The Biden administration was more forthcoming, but even they had slow walk things often. And the foreign minister of uh, Latvia remarked rather bitterly 
in the wake of this magnificent victory that uh, had the Western allies provided the necessary armaments earlier, perhaps much could have been done sooner. And of course, that implied that many more lives might have been saved. So are allies listening and providing more, Arl? The Biden administration has uh, declared that they are providing more. And so we'll have to see how quickly they follow through. Some of the weapons that they provided, the high Mars, these are the rockets that have a range of uh, anywhere from 50 uh, miles upwards. Uh, they have been used by the Ukrainians to hit depots, to hit concentrations uh, of equipment and uh, of troops, uh, in the case of the Russians. The Germans are making promises again, but they're also having conversations. Uh, uh, Macron uh, has spoken to uh, Putin. The German Chancellor uh, Olaf Scholz has spoken to Vladimir Putin. And one cannot help but wonder, since none of these talks, none of them have yielded anything so far positive, why are they doing this uh, instead of uh, upping the support for Ukraine, which would fulfill their own promises? Uh, this is what they said they would do. Why are they not doing it? And that's kind of puzzling. Some are looking at this as Russia used to be, or and still claims to be, a superpower, and yet can't finish the job in Ukraine. Is that because they're unable to at this point, or because they don't want to uh, deal with the repercussions of, of ramping this up? Given what the Russian assaults have looked like, where they have violated just about every rule of law, uh, the kind of rules that uh, exist in uh, use in use bellow uh, have uh, been ignored in their breach, if you like, by the Russians, where civilians are targeted constantly, where there's mounting evidence of war crimes. It's hard to imagine that they've held back. Uh, what exactly have they held back? And so uh, it seems that the mighty uh, Red Army and the successor um, is not 10 feet tall, that when they are challenged, uh, uh, they uh, don't perform particularly well against a determined uh, enemy that is defending its, uh, its homeland. And uh, this reversal also sends this crucial message that whereas in the past, it was this myth that whatever Russian military forces held could never be given back. Hmm. Well, they're giving it back now, and they certainly are not doing so voluntarily. R.O. Brown with us, Professor of International Relations and a senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. R.O., always uh, thanks so much for the time and be well. Thank you for having me on. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. A couple of days ago, everybody's, why don't we get the day off? How come the kids are in school and blah, 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 and Ontario's not allowing the uh, day off? Or, and now we find, and we're thinking, well, we're not spending enough time duly honoring the Queen. And so you go from that extreme to a, a York Regional School Board that says they don't want any mention of any of this Uh uh, in the school, and especially on Monday during the funeral. Uh, public school teachers in York Region are being told to avoid any memorials or tributes to the Queen in classrooms because the subject might be very triggering. 
uh, to some students. The memo <laughs> reminds teachers uh, discussions surrounding the Queen's uh, death are not encouraged because it could remind students of personal losses they may have experienced. And this is a quote, we request that the school staff please refrain from developing tributes or activities to memorialize the death of the Queen as well as displaying objects associated with the Queen for the purpose of memorialization. Boy, oh boy, uh, talk about one extreme to the other. Let's bring in Colin DeMello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News. He's with us now. Colin, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. This is quite a story, Colin. So um, who said it's triggering? What do they base any of that on is the reason for doing this? Yeah, so a lot of the school boards and the schools are having active conversations or have been having active conversations uh, about exactly how to honor the queen. In some cases, they've decided to, you know, make a public announcement on those, uh, like during the morning announcements, or you know, they might be uh, having conversations in the classroom or or whatnot. And a lot of these conversations, my understanding, is you know surrounded around what's the demographic of the school um, and and what is age appropriate, right? The conversation in high school is going to be different from the conversation in elementary school and and how to best approach it. In York region, though, there was this kind of FAQ sent to all of the teachers about what to do if a student starts talking about the queen. And, And they basically said, if a student initiates the conversation then you can talk about it, but don't go in depth. Don't, you know, drag out the conversation, kind of address the question and move on. They don't want God Save the Queen or God Save the King played in any of the schools. They don't want to really belabor the point. And the reason why they said is, if a, if a student had a recent loss, as an example, that might be triggering to them. Or if, uh, you know, there's a student that might be of indigenous background, that also might be triggering them to them to talk about uh, the, the monarchy. And so they're saying instead of having this nuanced conversation in the classroom where you would expect a conversation about the monarchy and colonialism to happen, they're saying don't talk about it at all. This might be triggering to students kind of avoid even showing a live stream of what might be happening over these, you know, historic few days uh, in the UK. So were there complaints or, you know, I keep going, how does a school board decide what triggers people? Are there psychologists involved? I mean, did somebody come to this conclusion? Because it's not like, you know, Canada isn't a diverse place. Ontario isn't a diverse place. Markham isn't a diverse place. I grew up there. Uh, but this is, this is bizarre. This sounds more like someone who doesn't want the monarchy taught in the schools. Well, the school board says that they have these types of memos go out for all kinds of events. If there is a big global event that could have an impact on students, then they would send out this memo just as a guide to teachers and how to deal with certain situations. I haven't seen any other FAQs that go out to teachers, but this one certainly seems to kind of indicate that they wanted the conversation to be minimized as much as possible. Now, York Region's school board isn't really communicating a lot with us in terms of, you know, what was the decision points here before they actually sent out this memo to, to educators. Uh, but but on its face, it seems to be that they really want to protect students as much as possible and not traumatize them. One of the things they mentioned is, listen, there's going to be a lot of media coverage around the Queen's death, and that might be, again, traumatizing, in their words, to students. And so they wanted to minimize as much of it as possible. And they're even you know, advising teachers that the monarchy is a very divisive 
topic and maybe you know don't get into a heated debate about it with other educators in the classroom as well. So it seems like they're really taking a very uh, PC approach uh, to this discussion around the monarchy. And for a lot of people, they're looking at that as, you know, maybe them being anti-monarchy. They say they're not. This was solely about trying to understand, you know, what students' experiences might be like and not trying to do any harm uh, to students in the classroom. Wouldn't it be better just to educate everybody on that and make the whole thing just a nice big lesson on all of this instead of uh, burying it? Well, that certainly is the argument that the Minister of Education is making. And and we were the ones who kind of raised this with the Minister of Education because, uh, you know, Global News, we had received this memo from from a concerned teacher, actually. And we presented this to the Ministry of Education just to get their thoughts on whether they're okay with this, whether the ministry has sent this kind of an edict out to the, the the school boards or what they've communicated to school boards. And the minister was very quick to respond to say, uh, no, we actually are directing the school board now to reverse this decision, to hold a moment of silence, to you know mark the queen's death in some way uh, on the day of her funeral on September 19th, um, and to you know use this as a, a launching point to talk about the fact that you know Canada is a constitutional monarchy and that you know we recognize the queen as the head of state but also you know we have a constitution that we abide by and and, and what our system of government is so the, the the ford government says use this as a learning opportunity for students don't minimize it inside the classroom and that's what the york region school board is now going to have to do uh any word from the school board on this you said you haven't heard back no, I mean, we are hoping to do an interview with the school board in just a little bit. I'm scheduled to do an interview with somebody there at 4 p.m. We've been asking them for an interview. In fact, we asked every single trustee, uh, the, the the head of the school board, uh, for an interview, and, and we ca- kind of kept b- getting bounced around, but uh, we could be hearing from them in, in just a little bit. Uh, you know, it... It doesn't really seem like they had ill intent here, uh, to be honest. I mean, they really wanted to do what was best for the students. But the reaction that we've been receiving from parents and a lot of others was maybe they're being a bit too sensitive about a subject, which is a topic of conversation in every single household, presumably. Um, and, and so you know, they will go with what the Minister of Education has ordered because really they have no choice. It just seems very bizarre, Colin. I mean, this isn't a mass killing. This isn't a mass disaster, destruction, war. This is the passing of a head of state. It served for 70 years. It's the circle of life. It's a part of life. Right. Uh, so we don't know what their exact reasoning is here, but but it, from the conversations... It would, it would be... Sorry school. to interrupt, Colin. It'd be interesting to know exactly what it was that made them arrive, like how this decision is made. I think that's what people really want to know. It's like, how does a decision like this get made and get passed? Yeah. And, and it's very unequivocal too, right? It, it doesn't allow for a lot of nuance. It, it's a lot of don't do this, don't do that. Don't have a conversation. Don't play God Save the King in the classroom. Um, don't just live stream any of the events yeah. that are happening in the United Kingdom um, and, and don't even have any kind of you know tribute or memorial within the classroom uh, to teachers. And and the, the, the question is, you know, how do they know that it's triggering for students? What about it is yeah. triggering for students? And, and, and what about the students who have a genuine curiosity about what's happening there and want to actually learn about it and have a conversation about it in a classroom? I, I liken it to sex education, right? Uh, there, yeah. there was a big conversation around sex ed and where should it be taught? And the fact that sex ed sometimes is not taught at home and that it should be taught in the classroom. If that is, I mean, that is the 
the most sensitive of all sensitive subjects to talk and if uh, talk about and if schools feel comfortable having that discussion in the classroom and it's part of a curriculum uh, then something like this you know could be elevated to that kind of a level uh, i mean teachers know how to have a sensitive conversation with students they have it all the time one would think that this would be one that a teacher would be equipped to handle fascinating colin Demella with his queens, uh, queens park bureau chief for global news watch global tonight for more on all of this thank you colin much appreciated when there's an issue scott is all in on getting to the heart of it this is hamilton today with scott thompson on hamilton's news today's talk 900 CHML. scott's on the line scott what are your thoughts uh how are you good and you good thank you i just don't like them uh desensitizing the canadian children because I'm sure the British children are that they're going to be many of them viewing the Queen yeah, as she lies in rest. That's a good point. What about the poor kids in the UK? They got to go through this. But, well, they, they probably many walking by to see her. Yeah, good point. And uh, another thing is, like, what, what if you're a history teacher? History is happening right now. Everyone knows Abraham Lincoln was uh, shot. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yep. this girl. The queen died of natural causes and lived to a ripe old age. So how, how can you not? You should celebrate that, not desensitize it. I understand you 100%, Scott. Thanks for the call. Markham, too, the city council in Markham didn't think it was triggering when back in 2019 they flew the flag of China in commemoration of the 70th anniversary uh, of, of, of the, uh, the, the Chinese um, uh, emperor, not emperor, sorry, I'm, I'm misguided here, um, of, of their, uh, their anniversary and then flew the flag of China, Chinese Communist Party, at Markham, and then people were so enraged they had to take it down. This happening during the um, the time where the two Michaels were being held hostage. This was just prior to COVID-19. So it's interesting that something like that isn't triggering, yet, you know, talking about the passing of the Queen, uh, you know, somehow triggers uh, bad feelings. Let's bring in Charles Burton, Senior Fellow, Center for Advancing Canada's Interest Abroad at the McDonald-Laurie Institute. Reason, the Russian president and the Chinese president meeting, and Putin saying and thanking China for their balanced approach to the Ukrainian crisis. Charles with us now. Charles, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am. It's good to speak with you, Scott. Did you want to weigh in on what's happening in York Region? Uh, well, you know, I, <laughs> I'm sure triggered by you know, the flag of the People's Republic of China flying over a municipal government in Canada, that that triggers pretty big nightmares in me. I hope that never happens, uh, you know, in terms of just not commemoration, but that Canada is, uh, becomes a colony of China, which I guess would be China's uh, ultimate ambition. So, but uh, in terms of the Queen, I you know, I think it's uh, it's a good thing for children to become aware of uh, of the death of elders. It's part of life. All right. This meeting between these two presidents, uh, it was interesting. I was just saw a report. Uh, the U.S. has not seen any evidence of China supporting Russia as far as militarily, uh, but is otherwise by buying oil and such. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, of these two meeting this way? Well, uh, you know, Mr. Xi, the, the leader of China, went to Kazakhstan first and then met with uh, Mr. Putin in Uzbekistan, 
where there's the meeting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which is uh, an organization that I think China would like to make into the the sort of European Union equivalent for Central Asia. So you've got, you know, you've got a lot of countries there, um, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and other countries are part of it aside from from China and uh, and Russia. For example, Iran has just become a full member. Now that's pretty scary. And India is a member too. So, you know, it would be a major problem for the continuation of our way of life and democracy if you got Russia, China, Iran, and possibly India, and all the countries around about that are um, subordinate to them, opposing the West, the UN, and the WTO. The thing is that, you know, when Mr. Xi went to Kazakhstan, if you look at the map to the east of Kazakhstan is China, specifically Xinjiang, the you know, the area that, that China has the uh, genocidal um, concentration mm -hmm. camps. And to the west of Kazakhstan is Ukraine. And so it's a very critical country for uh, China's expansion into Europe. You know, they're putting in rail facilities and so on to try and remake the global economic order in China's favor. But Kazakhstan is very unhappy with the Russian invasion of Ukraine because, you know, if they invade Ukraine, do they invade Kazakhstan, mm -hmm. which was part of the Soviet Union next? So China, on the one hand, I think was hoping that Russia would make a rapid and successful um, invasion of Ukraine and the whole thing would be wrapped up in two weeks. Now they're seeing the possibility that Russia may, in fact, not be successful in Ukraine which sends out a very damaging signal with regard to China's ambitions over Taiwan. And Russia's action in Ukraine is causing the other countries that were part of the Soviet Union are now independent and who are looking to, to join this China alliance to feel very antsy about uh, Mr. Putin's intentions. And I think ultimately, if Putin does lose the Ukraine war, then he'll be seen in China, in Russia as a, as a weak figure. And the Russians like their strong men strong. So China's alliance with Russia could be seriously affected if Putin loses power. And the next uh, leader of Russia is not someone who holds his views, but would prefer to have a de democratic uh, nation that, that would collaborate with the global order and not seek to try and tear it down. Charles Burton with us, Senior Fellow at the Center of Advancing Canada's Interest Abroad at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, talking about the President of Russia and China meeting and perhaps becoming allies uh, that could scare the West. Uh, Charles, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Great to speak with you. Last week, the number of weekly reported deaths from COVID-19 was the lowest since March 2020. There you have it. That's the uh, World Health Organization Director, or sorry, General Director, talking about uh, pretty significant information. The WHO has announced that the world has the lowest amount of COVID-19 deaths since March of 2020, uh, announcing that uh, this is the lowest period, and also saying that we are not there yet, but the end is in sight. Uh, and compared it to a marathon runner, uh, now is the worst time to stop running. Just keep running until you get across the finish line was uh, the analogy that the World Health Organization uh, put forward. But my, after two and a half years, uh, this certainly is great news. Let's bring in Dr. Rodney Rohde, Professor and Chair, Clinical Laboratory Science Program at the College of Health Professions with Texas State University. And with us now, Doctor, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. 
Hey, Scott, nice to hear you again. Can you believe yeah. the first time I was on your show was two years and six months ago? I know. I was just thinking about that, that, Rodney. Crazy? I know. You know, at one time we're talking to you guys at least once a week, twice a week, three times a week. Now it's uh, it's certainly a lot less, which I guess is a good sign. How it significant is. is this information from the World Health Organization? What are your thoughts? You know, I think it's I think it's a statement that shows some hope and optimism, which I appreciate from the general uh, director general of the, the WHO. Certainly some of his comments you noticed towards the end were, you know, a little more guarded because, you know, as you and I have talked, uh, viruses tend to be diabolical and they really don't care what we print or stay. But it is a significant time period for us, I think, when you see that we've come from, goodness, that March of 2020 and through that summer and that early fall where things were really, uh, really sad when we were approaching four and 5,000 deaths a day in the United States at one point. And I know we're, we're over a million here in the U.S. alone. So to see the case counts uh, leveling out and falling significantly over the past you know, several months, even though infections are still there, uh, because this, this Omicron variant just is kind of just being a little diabolical with respect to um, transmission rates and things like that. But fortunately, at the moment, we're seeing much, much reduced mortality uh, and even, you know, very, very few serious hospital and severe illnesses. Generally, there are still people dying. There are still issues going on, but it is way better than it was two and a half years ago, for sure. Obviously, lots of chatter up here, Rodney, in September as kids head back to school and the study of, and the talk of protocols and so on. And, and, and many doctors were saying, you don't understand. There's more cases now than there were this time last year. But it's also a very different variant. You talked about its ability to spread, but certainly not as lethal as what Delta was. Yeah, it, it, that's very true. And I think there's there's some complexity there that the public certainly needs to understand as well as others. And part of that is that in most of most of the countries that have the access to vaccines and healthcare and those types of things, we are seeing, I know in the United States, we're approaching probably 70 to 72 percent of those who are uh, fully vaccinated and many, many are boosted as well. Uh, but when you throw in, Scott, when you throw in the number of people that have, you know, been infected, who have mm -hmm. survived that infection, sometimes two and three times, unfortunately, and even those who don't even realize it uh, because of perhaps very low level or asymptomatic infection, we're probably looking more in my estimation of 85, uh, 80 to 85% of the population in these areas with some immunity. And so I think between that and I think between the variant that's currently circulating, which you know it does show kind of a high transmission risk, but many people that have had it, I've had many friends and family members that have had it, mm -hmm. Uh, it's really mild, more like an allergy. Again, not discounting those who do have significant issues with it. So what are you expecting, Rodney, in the fall and in the winter months? Many are worried of another wave, but there doesn't some, seem to be variants of concern on the horizon at this point. Yeah, right now, you know, again, I'm optimistic. I'm always kind of guardedly optimistic. You're going to hear most of us say that because, you know, it's just really difficult, Scott, to predict an RNA virus and how it may change or mutate on a dime. So I'm, I'm optimistic. It certainly seems like we have kind of gotten over a particular hurdle and hopefully we're headed downhill on this. Historically, you know, typically you're looking at three full years uh, before things kind of get down to the level of what you might say is a low level endemic 
type of thing. And and I and that's why I'm still kind of holding myself uh, until we get through this winter season, at least in the northern hemisphere here in the U.S. and Canada. I kind of want to see what happens this fall. Uh, but let's hope uh, that the current uh, bivalent vaccines that are going out will help boost uh, that immunity and that we do not see any other variants of concern pop up. Right now, there have been nothing, you know, really no variants popping up that I have seen that I've been worried about it. We're just looking at that uh, BA4 and 5, which is kind of the primary one right now. Dr. Rodney Rohde with us, professor and chair of the Clinical Laboratory Science Program at the College of Health Professions with Texas State University. The World Health Organization announces that the world has had at the lowest amount of COVID-19 deaths since March of 2020, but still must be vigilant. We're not across the finish line yet. Doctor, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right, lots of stuff going around the hammer uh, in the last couple of days. Let's bring in Mayor Fred Eisenberger, uh, Mayor of City of Hamilton, and joins us now. Fred, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing well, Scott. Thank you. Great uh, it day. is. It's an absolutely beautiful day. You know what? I got to slip away and watch uh, my son play a little bit of high school football today for a half an hour. I shouldn't say that on the air because the boss is listening. But, uh, yeah, very cool to see that stuff all happening again. Wanted to talk to you, too, about uh, Michael DeGroote, a name that's certainly uh, infamous around Hamilton and those that uh, have go to uh, McBaster or have been there over the years, philanthropist, former Ticat owner, uh, passing away. Your thoughts of what he has meant to the city? Yeah, you know, condolences to uh, to his family, an extensive family, in fact, uh, many grandchildren and great grandchildren, and uh, to me and friends. Uh, you know, it was a sad loss for for them, certainly, and certainly a sad loss for Hamilton. And Michael was such a you know a great businessman. I mean, having created two hugely successful businesses in two different industries, one in transportation and the other in waste management. Uh, you know, successful uh, throughout North America, and obviously made him. Uh, hugely wealthy, but uh, to his credit, uh, decided that uh, he wanted to give back to a, to a community uh, in Hamilton, That um, and he did so in a very, very big way. So the uh, DeGroote um, you know, Medical School and the DeGroote Business School, as well as his participation in the Tiger Cats at, at a given point in time to keep it in, uh, in play, uh, was uh, incredible. And, uh, you know, that kind of philanthropy and kind of the sense of wanting to give back to a community that helped make him successful, I think, is uh, is laudable. And certainly we will, we will uh, treasure those investments for a long, long time to come. And the benefits of those investments uh, will continue to accrue to uh, to the city of Hamilton for uh, for a long, long time, battle, long before his his, uh, his passing, or long after his passing, I should say, uh, it will continue to provide benefit in our community. And really raised the bar here, didn't he, Fred, and, and encouraged others to do the same? Yeah, and you know what, we, we see a similar kind of pattern uh, from David Braley, who was also hugely successful, mm-hmm. and other hugely, you know, successful business people that have found a way of giving back to uh, Hamilton, and, and Hamilton has had great benefit from that, whether it's in the medical field or in the... Uh, in the uh, the healthcare uh, space, uh, the Jurovinskys and the yeah. Braleys and now the DeGroots, all of them have made uh, significant contributions to our community and has really helped us create that renaissance that we're still experiencing today of having diversified our economy in such a way that we are no longer just about scale. We are now also about healthcare and uh, biosciences and research and agribusiness. All of those things have come about uh, largely due to some very strategic investments from some of our wealthier and more successful uh, 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 city, city members. So 
grateful for uh, Mr. DeGroote and the, the, the contributions he's made, and certainly the legacy of his will uh, live on long. And uh, we were talking to the Economic Development Department uh, just uh, yesterday, the day before, talking about uh, the third record uh, uh, year and, and mentioned in, a, in an industry magazine for the best place to invest uh, in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting talking to them saying uh, they actually said this, the line of, you know, Hamilton has become a, uh, a very diverse city when it comes to industry and, and, and expanded beyond steel. And I remember a time when that's what the dream was. It's amazing how far the city has come in the last decade or two yeah that's been the effort and the goal for you know the better part of 25 years certainly as long as i've been involved uh politically here and uh you know it started uh with incentives for people to make investments there was a time where uh we couldn't get any bank to uh, provide a loan to anyone to make an investment downtown or anywhere in our city Mm -hmm. quite frankly other than you know regular residential loans so uh, those times have changed significantly, and we're now seeing the a, a diversity of investment, which is really the key, uh, is, yes, we think steel is important, and, yes, advanced manufacturing is still going to be very much a part of uh, who we are as a city, but we are now very much diversified into agribusiness, into distribution centers, uh, you know, and transportation uh, opportunities, biosciences and health sciences, very, very engaged in that and MacMaster Innovation Park and all the great research that's happening there that's turning into viable products that can be produced right here. So the diversity that we've been able to achieve has been the success of, you know, just about everyone that, that's been part of our community uh, in the last 25 years and certainly a, some, a great business environment right now, which it means great future employment opportunities for anyone that wants to be here, live here, Get, get themselves educated here in the DeGroote School of Business or the, me- uh, the medical school and can make Hamilton home and know that there's a diversity of opportunity here. And speaking of diversity, uh, the art scene, the culture scene, restaurant scene, I mean, Super Crawl just uh, uh, wrapped up. And now you're talking uh, about the Music City Conference and just bringing more music to uh, Hamilton, which is obviously already a music city. But talk about your efforts there. And I, it was interesting. I was talking to the mayor of Niagara Falls about him declaring that a music city. So let's uh, let's bring the war on. We'll go up against them. What are your thoughts well, with this you know, and, and, and adding more music to the city? Yeah, music has always been a kind of an undercurrent in the city of Hamilton, but now is right, uh, you know, front and center. And, you know, Super Crawl is a testament to that. Festival of Friends before that. Uh, Earth Song, if you recall, Earth Song back in the yeah. day. Uh, you know, a lot of effort put into continuing to bring culture and music to the city, uh, you know, on a great national festival basis. But, you know, every day, performances now are are much more prevalent so we now have music on patios uh, you know there a couple of mm. years ago uh it wasn't allowed uh, yeah. it was against the bylaw to uh, to have you know uh, either live or you know uh, piped in music on patios and now today that is uh, very much encouraged and, and, and approved we've encouraged uh, musicians uh, by allowing them to have a uh, free loading zone in front of venues that are uh, that are that they're performing at, it used to be that they used to scramble and try to avoid bylaw and getting a ticket hmm. uh, parking in the no loading zone. Well, we've now created loading zones for musicians, so they can not have to worry about that issue. Uh, and we've uh, we've actually arranged in the city of Hamilton a fair pay uh, opportunity. In other words, pay them the equity 
that the the, uh, the musician guild says they should get paid for any city sponsored event. And you know, on many occasions, there you know, there's always a, a desire to you know go light on you know paying a musician. While we're 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 leading by example and saying if if it's a city sponsored event, we're going to pay scale that uh, the musicians guild uh, actually says should be paid to musicians that are performing for us. So those are all very helpful. Uh, avenues to continue to encourage music and you know music is being made here all the time and uh, it is a you know very strong part of our cultural fabric and needs to continue to be and we need to continue to support it so tell us about the piano at gage park <laughs> my little my little contribution <laughs> to uh, continuing to bring music to uh, to places and you know i had a vision for a while now of finding you know a lot of pianos out there in homes that aren't being utilized and putting them in public spaces and allowing people just to play whenever the, the mood strikes them. And uh, we've managed to achieve one. We got a generous donation from uh, from an individual to uh, cough up their piano and actually pay for the move. And we've moved it into the greenhouse, uh, uh, Gage Park Greenhouse, which is, uh, you know, a great place to be in and of itself. Yeah. But now there's a piano there. We went to visit there the other day when, once the piano had landed. This is about a week ago. And we're standing there taking some photos and doing the social media thing to let people know the piano's there. And uh, every every person that walked in the building that while we were there immediately went to the piano and played something. And uh, <laughs> that's really what it's all about. And there's that so is- much talent out there. Yeah, what an absolutely great idea, and talk about thinking outside the box. I mean, that's what it's all about, and perhaps that's what this global pandemic has taught us. Uh, Great to hear, Mayor. Mayor Fred Eisenberger, Mayor for the City of Hamilton, talking about all things Hamilton uh, with a little visit here. Mayor, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you. Have a great uh, have a great day. Have a great evening. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right. Uh, good uh, day to bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. Alyssa PR to find out more. Uh, I'm, I'm still spinning about this story. Uh, and, you know, I grew up in Markham. Mind you, when I grew up in Markham, there was farmland between us and Toronto. And it was, um, you know, we were kind of the hicks. We, were out, we, we lived out in the sticks. Uh, but public school teachers in York Region are being told to avoid any memorials or tributes to the Queen in classrooms on Monday because the subject could be very triggering from students or for students. Now, it's odd that a couple of days ago, everybody's whining they're not getting the day off and the kids have to be in school. And people are saying, well, the kids should be in school because that's when they can learn about it. And now we've got a board that doesn't even want it mentioned. Don't play the music. Don't show the funeral. Don't have any sort of memorial whatsoever. Alyssa Freeman with us now. Alyssa, can you believe this? I mean, it's bizarre that we were talking about we're upset we didn't get the day off, and now we've got a school board that doesn't even want it mentioned. The York Region District School Board is among the most ridiculous educational organization maybe we have in this province. And I live in York Region. And we have had dealings with the school board, you know, throughout my daughters, not throughout, but from time mm. to time when things happened at the school and they would come in. And honestly, the people that would come in looked like uh, they were from another era. And I think <laughs> that's just the way they like it. But I will tell you that if they don't want people to discuss the Queen's death because it might be triggering, then perhaps they should stop teaching history altogether, Scott. No more history in York Region because all those people are dead. 
Yes. And it all might be triggering to every student when they learn about Columbus, when they learn about John A. MacDonald, when they learn about American history. They should not learn any history at all because all that history will be triggering. And then That's right. I recently read, I just want to add one more thing, Scott, sorry to continue my rant, but um, from an educator in York Region, Neil Orlowski, who yesterday posted on Instagram that once again, the York Region District School Board has failed to recognize the importance of adopting the working definition, the IHRA's working definition of anti-Semitism. And they did so, Scott, by indefinitely suspending their discussion on the matter. So who is the York Region School Board? And maybe we'll find them. We won't find them because they all have their heads stuck in the sand. Uh, yet it's not triggering for the city of Markham to fly uh, the Chinese Communist Party flag in memory of their, uh, in honor of their 70th anniversary back in 2019, just on the eve of the global pandemic, and while two Michaels were being held. That's not triggering, though. Honestly, you know what? what it was, there is obviously a very uh, much so a sliding scale of criteria, and whose criteria suits, suits who best, or whom, whom best. But I will say that, you know, when you start making up your own rules and when you start putting your own um, prejudicial lens on what is historic or how to come up with decisions about what is racial, uh, what is triggering, then York Region has a, has, has a definite problem. You know, you know, there's all that sensitivity training going on around, Scott. You know, the, it, it happens when yeah. you're doing um, uh, equity and, um, and diversity. Maybe York Region School Board needs to be retaught or retrained because, honestly, it's an embarrassment. Uh, and the reason, and let's be honest, the reason they have given is this is triggering. This is triggering to kids, which makes you have to ask, well, what about the poor kids in the U.K., what they must be going through? But more importantly, and you alluded to this, who makes this call? Who said it's triggering? And, and, and how did you arrive at that conclusion? Because I've never heard anybody say that the funeral of a historic figure would be triggering. So you have to ask, where's the person? Where's the evidence? Where's the science? Who said this? Uh, exactly. Like, is, is it somebody that who feels that they are so woke that they have gone above and beyond, quote unquote, the book? Um, I don't know where this is all coming from. And honestly, I think that there should be some sort of um, investigation. I think there should be some sort of committee struck into the decisions that the York Region District School Board is making. I think that these are self-serving. They do not serve the students. Should they perhaps tell the students, Scott, not to listen to the news on the radio when their parents are driving them to and from activities? Should they tell their parents to turn off the news, maybe after dinner when they want to catch up on current events? Or would they like to completely sanitize the news agenda and the historical agenda for their students? Because that's what this is all, to me, that's what this is all saying. What I find fascinating, it's it's not only that we're talking about this and this is going on. That's one thing. But who thought they could put this through and nobody would bat an eye? How do you think you're going to get away with this without some sort of criticism? Can I tell you, Scott, I think that they are just so insular into their thinking that... Cle- they clearly, they have no idea what's going on. They have. They are probably shocked that this has hit the media. And they probably are sitting there in a meeting right now uh, calling their news service to essentially gather all the clippings to see what people are saying about them. And they're probably wondering, well, where did we go wrong? 
exactly yeah. we're talking about triggering the children. And I, I'm sure they oh have my. zero idea, and they're sitting there in some boardroom flummox. Well, you'd think if this is what they were trying to, to do, and that's keep the monarchy, uh, the funeral, out of the classroom, they would at least try to come up with a better, you know, a better reason. But I guess, you know, sensitivities, political correctness, that seemed to work for them. You know, something's happening around the whole world, and the whole world, and we are a country of the Commonwealth. Whether you like it or not, we're a country of the Commonwealth. So... You know, to deny that, number one, is what I think they're doing in the first place. I think there's some sort of denial going on here. And to try and rewrite a narrative by actually sanitizing it, and not just sanitizing it, but making it effectively disappear, where mm-hmm. the whole rest of the world is looking at it, is, is absolutely ludicrous. It's shameful, and it's embarrassing. It is pretty embarrassing. And, you know, so, like, you know, I'm giggling. I can't believe somebody actually tried to get away with this and used this as a reason for doing so. I, I just, it's unbelievable to think that they thought people were that gullible. It's going to be fascinating to see where this goes and how they handle it on Monday. Alyssa Freeman with his PR and pop culture expert. As always, Alyssa, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you, Scott, for having me on. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. What a bizarre turn of events in the Queen dying and trying to figure out who the heck gets a day off or if they do or they don't. And uh, now we have a school board that doesn't even want you talking about it in class. <laughs> you know, a couple of days ago, it's, no, we want the kids in school to learn about it. And then the kids are in school and York Region says, well, no, we don't even want them mentioning that. Don't play the music. Don't show a picture. Don't do anything. It's like, oh, my God, how can this be so complicated? Uh, it started when the prime minister said uh, he was going to make this a holiday. However, he stopped short of making it a stat holiday and basically just gave the day off to federal employees, but stopped short of the banks and the businesses that are regulated by the federal government, which, of course, would have set the tone and gone from there. Uh, but then that kind of left it up to the provinces to do a piecemeal thing. Some are, some aren't. Quebec and Ontario are not. Uh, and then various versions of throughout east to west uh so is there any way we can just come up with a simple plan so when events like this like it's not like we didn't know the queen was going to pass although many many maybe they didn't uh because it seemed that she would last forever but is there some way we can like come up with some standard plan here instead of going through this uh the way we did henry jasek is with us professor of political science mcmaster university henry thanks for the time i hope you're well Thank you. Are these situations so unique that you cannot come up with a template for, or is there any way we can kind of standardize all this? Well, I mean, this is a, a great example of lack of planning and, and coordination among the governments in, in, mm. in Canada. I mean, in, in Britain, they had been planning for the Queen's uh, demise and what would go in a very complex cer- ceremony. And yeah, actually, she even had a hand in it, which is yeah. not unusual in Britain for people who are very important. And, 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 and so they, they knew exactly what was going to happen when she died. Every, you know, everything was, the script was all written out. We, you know, and, and that we didn't realize that a 96-year-old Queen, you know, pretty soon is probably going to pass on. And we were not ready. I mean, this is something that a, an inter, you know, they, they have intergovernmental uh, uh, committees between the federal and provincial governments that talk and arrange for all sorts of things. And I'm just quite surprised. They, they, never, they never did any forward planning uh, uh, within these groups. Should have been done 
And uh, so we got this whole smorgasbord of, of, of things going in, you know, provinces, territories, the government, you know, and the federal government. It's just, it's really a mess. Uh, and it seemed that even uh, the prime minister and the industry minister, Seamus uh, O'Regan, weren't even on the same page on any of this because he sort of had to come out in the end and clarify exactly who was in and who was out. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you don't have a plan, that's what happens. And then everybody's saying, well, I don't know. This is what I think is going to happen. And hmm. one, one minister thinks differently than another minister. Yeah, that, that is the problem when you, don't have a, when you don't have a plan. I mean, and this is a predictable event. I mean, there is no reason that some committee didn't work this all out, you know, uh, years in advance to say this is what we're going to do and then get the okay from all the provinces and all the territories and the federal government so they could just swing into action. But, yeah, no, no one ever thought of this, I, I guess. <laughs> do we know what happens, for example, if a prime minister, former prime minister, dies? Yeah, what happens? Well, again, that's, uh, you know, I don't think we celebrate the prime ministers all that much when they pass away. I'm just thinking back to Pierre Trudeau's. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a nice funeral in Quebec, yeah. and I watched Pax, you know, part of it on the TV. It was an interesting funeral and uh, very nicely done. But I don't think, uh, you know, it, it didn't seem like it was something that, that it was, a, an, a, you know, an issue for most of, the, most of the country. If it was, I don't remember it. It seemed to be low-key, certainly here in Ontario and everywhere else. But, uh, but, the, but the thing is, the, the, the queen is, well, this is a special queen because of how long she, you know, was in yeah. office. And she's a head of state. So the head of state usually should get a, uh, you know, uh, some sort of special recognition when the when the, when the head of state dies. And so, yeah, I, it's just um, you know, it's just an example of lack of forward planning by, I guess, all the governments. I don't think. I mean, as far as I could tell, none of them, you know, were really ready for this. Uh, speaking of being on the same page, it seems that the school board in York Region isn't on the same page as the rest of the province. They've decided that there's been a memo issued that nobody is supposed to talk about uh, or show any sort of images or the, uh, or the funeral or play the music of the Queen's funeral on Monday within the schools of York Region. Um, you know, it's odd because at one point we were arguing whether the kids were going to be out of school or not, and some were saying, you know, they should be in to learn about this. Then we got a school board that isn't even even going to talk about it and since you know getting the repercussions you'd think that even for something like this we could all get on the same page now this is really a fault of our ministry of education uh that essentially yeah this is i mean the the premier come out and say we're not going to close the schools they're going to learn about this is going to be a learning opportunity Mm -hmm. but in fact i as soon as i read that i said well, where's the plan? I mean, what what are they going to learn on on Monday? I think a great idea. They can learn a lot. I mean, why do we honor this woman and the person in this particular job? Uh, this this is a great you know exercise in learning about citizenship. And there, as far as I can tell, there's nothing that's been done by the Ministry of Education. So here's a case where the, you know we have a provincial ministry doesn't do its job because normally you expect the provincial ministry tells the school boards this is what you got to teach i mean normally the school boards don't determine well they've certainly they've certainly clarified it now for york region henry yeah i mean so it's uh, a it, it so it's a mess at that level i mean I, I i just don't understand how people don't prepare for this I I just don't, you know, and I can understand your point 100%, but to me, this is obvious. The funeral is the day of. It's the morning before they get to school. Uh, As soon as they show up, you'll talk about what just happened. It seems quite basic, but uh, uh, your thoughts on uh, the fact that York doesn't want to cover it? 
Oh, I, I think I think I can't understand why. I mean, her job is an important job. She's just not merely a celebrity, although she, many people treat that her and her family as celebrities. It's history. She's the head of state. She's the head of state of many countries, including Canada, and that's it's a very important governmental office, and people should understand what her role is in our government. And this is a great opportunity to teach it, and that we don't have a, a curriculum for that particular day to to talk about that and educate the students. I mean, I, I, as a political scientist, I really think there needs to be more civic education in the schools. I mean, people j- oftentimes just have don't have a clue of how their government works and how it fits together, and, and they need to understand the basic institutions and you know roughly how they work. Uh, and I just think we don't do enough of that. Well said, Henry Jasek, with us, professor of political science, McMaster University, talking about honoring the Queen and how we do it on Monday. Henry, thanks for the time. Be well. Okay, thank you. Obviously, as you are uh, well aware, uh, the Queen's funeral is uh, scheduled for uh, Monday, September 19th. And already we're hearing correspondents say that uh, they've noticed more police presence uh, in and around uh, London and area and such as uh, this perimeter slowly gets tightened down, tightened down even more uh, towards uh, towards Monday. And we also got the list of uh, Canadian dignitaries that will be attending the funeral, including uh, the present and also past governor generals, uh, also the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, and past prime ministers, Kim Campbell, uh, Paul Martin, uh, Jean Chrétien, Stephen Harper, also going to be there, and celebrity uh, Canadian actress Sandra Oh, Mark Tewksbury as well, uh, Olympian, uh, going to be there. So some of the uh, information coming out about what Monday is going to be, but there is obviously going to be an awful lot of people, a lot, of, an awful lot of dignitaries, an awful lot of leadership there in one spot. And security is obviously a major concern. However, as they say, uh, the UK is good at it. They're, uh, they're certainly qualified uh, hosting Olympics and what have you. Let's bring in Sean Sparling, retired deputy. Deputy Chief of the Sault Ste. Marie Police, currently the President of Investigative Solutions Network, and with us now. Sean, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Yeah, everything's good. Thank you for having me. So uh, how concerned are you? I mean, just the amount of dignitaries coming into for this funeral, uh, former leaders, current leaders. Uh, you know, and many have compared this to, to doing something like the Olympics, but this seems, seems to be even more uh, even more sensitive than that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. This uh, the security for this is just going to be a monumental. Like, like some of the numbers I saw, just the general crowd. They're talking about seven hundred and fifty thousand people, and in excess of ten thousand uh, security officials involved in this. This is a monumental operation for uh, for the UK. How? Where do you start? How do you start? It, it starts with planning, and uh, you look at the uh, the planning for this. It sounds like it's been going on for literally decades, and I'm sure as the uh, Queen's uh, advanced in years, the uh, the planning picked up. And uh, the UK is uh, used to these kind of big events, but I think this is going to be unprecedented. But it's a lot of planning, a lot of coordination, and having the right pl- uh, people in the right place to get this done. Uh, many have said, obviously, risk versus reward here and uh, in, in, in what you have to do and in, in, in weigh all of this. Uh, that being said, in many situations, these events become so secure and become often the most secure place on the planet at that time. Uh, very rarely do things happen at these events, but perhaps on the perimeter of those events. Yeah, that's right. The, uh, you're going to see different levels of security. Obviously, you're going to have the general public there, and then you're going to have uh, work your way into the inner sanctum of, uh, of all these dignitaries. Like you mentioned, the uh, prime minister's going there with um, uh, several uh, 
ex-prime uh, ministers, governor generals, uh, President Biden will be there. That inner security is going to be absolutely impenetrable. But as you go out further and further into the crowd, uh, it'll be more monitoring than actually uh, secure. The, um, the the crowds will not be near as secure as what the dignitaries will be on the interior. So how do you, uh, we were talking about planning. Who plans this? I mean, is there military involved? Is it local police? Is it, uh, where, where do you, and obviously you're using all levels and all hands on deck here. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be everybody. The uh, You'll have their intelligence uh, very involved in this. You'll have the military. Uh, the Metropolitan Police are very accomplished and they know what they're doing. They'll be uh, coordinating this. Uh, local police on the ground. It'll be uh, an endeavor for the entire country. And also, I would, I would suspect that there's, uh, at the very least, intelligence agencies from around the world involved in this. So uh, you said that this has probably been worked out for years. I mean, many have talked about, uh, you know, obviously the Queen uh, reigned for, for 70 years, and a lot of planning has gone into the funeral and, and the, the pomp and circumstance of it all. And, and a lot of it has been planned for, for literally decades and then added to as time goes on. Is the security the same situation? I mean, has this been worked on for a tremendously long time? I'm sure in broad strokes it has, and uh, as uh, the time got uh, closer and as uh, she became more elderly, I'm sure they worked on it quite a bit. They also had uh, a run with it when uh, when Prince Philip uh, passed away, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so that would have uh, kind of exercised somewhat their plans. But uh, certainly in the last uh, couple of years, and especially now, they've been uh, they've been working on these plans uh, in earnest. Uh, you talked about intelligence gathering and such. Um, how closely are they monitoring, you know, uh, the web and things like this and activity that is going on behind the scenes to, to gauge? I'm thinking of the January 6th situation where there was lots of chatter ahead of time uh, before the day actually went down. Uh, that's obviously the sort of thing they, they'll monitor. Uh, is that activity picking up? Any reason to believe that? Yeah, their intelligence uh, uh, abilities are very deep, um, as is uh, Canada's and the States. We all belong to the Five Eyes. They'll be tapping into all these international resources, but themselves, they'll have an incredible amount of uh, of signals, intercepts, and human resources going on. There's be, to be a lot of intelligence activities going on in, uh, in the preparation and during this event. Obviously, the cost will be horrendous. Yeah, this is one of these ones where the cost really doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it's a no, good point. It's a no-fail, a no-fail operation, and they, they have to get it right. So the, the cost uh, and the, on this type of thing really doesn't matter. How much would this determine uh, who you invite, who gets invited, uh, and such? I mean, is it all friends or foes? Uh, does that matter? Is What about the politics that crosses over into this? Well, I've heard there's a number of countries off the invite list, like uh, I believe uh, Russia was, and I imagine some mm. other uh, more belligerent nations are as well. Uh, but the, uh, certainly, the, who's going to be inside that inner sanctum of the uh, of the proceeding? Uh, uh, sorry, of the uh, of the funeral um, will be very well vetted. Probably heads of states and very close family, ones that have already have some sort of security clearance. They're not just going to let anybody in there. You know, I, we've been watching, uh, and, and my goodness, the lineups are, are several kilometers long. Uh, we're hearing stories of people wear, wait, uh, waiting up to like 30 hours uh, in this uh, parade that eventually goes through and, and passes through Westminster Hall. And we're seeing shots of, you know, just ordinary citizens coming by and paying their respects, going through uh, this hall and, and, and past this uh, coffin and such. But what we're not seeing is what's done prior to that. What kind of security? would they be going through all of those people uh, between the time that they actually get up to the queen's coffin to the time they arrive at the door 
Yeah, the I'm, I'm not sure. There hasn't been any real reporting on what they're doing in there, but uh, conceivably, and I guess that's for obvious reasons yeah. too, Sean. Right? Yeah, it, it, conceivably they can be doing like an airport type uh, security, or as you're coming into big yeah. sporting events. Uh, the uh, certainly there is a lot of security along that route, even if it's not visible. There's a lot of security along there monitoring that crowd. Yeah, and you, you have to think that that lineup that that stretches for kilometers uh, that also has to be managed and watched as well. Yeah, that lineup is a target to itself, and it's also a threat. And so it's being managed from both those perspectives, for sure. All right. Uh, do you expect any issues on Monday? Do you expect this to go as smooth as everything else does, just simply because of the massive preparation? Yeah, I, I do expect it to go uh, quite smooth without incident. And uh, certainly in, in, inside the event uh, where the dignitaries are, I don't expect any issues at all. Uh, maybe something out on the fringes, out in the larger crowds or the larger community, but uh, nothing uh, within the where the, the royal family or the dignitaries are. Sean Sparling with us, retired deputy chief of the Sault Ste. Marie Police, also uh, president of Investigative Solutions Network, talking about the security in and around the Queen's funeral coming up on Monday. Sean, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Take care. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Joining us now, Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He's coming up right after the 6 o'clock news. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am doing well, Scott. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. You know, it's hilarious that for the last couple of days, you and I have been talking about whether people should be getting the day off or not in regard to the Queen's funeral. Um, obviously, with it not being a stat holiday, we now have a patchwork system across the country. Some are complaining, you know, the kids should be out of school. The kids should be in school to learn about it. And then we have the York Region School Board who said, yeah, the kids are in school, but you're not allowed to talk about the Queen. You're not allowed to, uh, allowed to play the music. You're not allowed to watch the funeral. You're not allowed to use any imagery or ever because they feel that that will be a trigger for the kids what are your thoughts i saw this uh earlier today and i gotta say that the um the people who run the york region school board i didn't realize this but collectively all were dropped on their heads simultaneously (laughs) There, there is no this is scott we have reached a point of being so attempting to be so I think this of, is. I think this is above political correctness. I think oh, this no, is it's an, beyond political correctness. Yeah, because because yeah, okay. Part of what they say is, well, this is about colonial past and all the rest. Yeah. Okay. First of all, it's school. You're supposed to learn about these things, whether <laughs> exactly. you enjoy the history or don't enjoy the history. All right. So so just because the history, some people on the board may not appreciate it or may not agree with it, doesn't take away the fact that this is the history. History is not preference. All right. That, that's a whole different subject. This is history. This is what happened. And we learn about it. Now, what we do with that learning, that's something else to discuss. But we can't just turn around and say, we're going to pretend it never happened. And therefore, people won't be upset. But the second part is a way bigger problem to this, because they said that we that other kids, kids in our school board may have suffered loss and talking about the death of the queen may trigger them. Yeah, this, it sounds this, like a serial killing. It's like a mass murder. No, no, no. It's a funeral. But Scott, this is taking the idea that we've always talked about for years now about, you know, bubble wrapping our children and everybody has to get an award and all this stuff, lest anyone's feelings be hurt and taking it to an uh, just an absurd level, because unless the York Region School Board has figured out how to involve or include into its curriculum a way that all parents, grandparents and loved ones remain alive forever. Exactly. 
these children at some point are going to have, whether they've already had it happen or are going to, they are going to face loss of someone. And again, I thought that part of school was learning things that will apply to your life, which is really weird because I'm guessing a lot of the kids in the York Region School Board, especially the elementary grades, haven't had sex yet. And yet we're teaching them sex education because we're saying we're preparing you for what's coming. Yeah. So now we've got a death perfect opportunity because probably very few kids are weeping about the death of the queen really honestly yeah so perfect opportunity to talk about these issues so it can be useful for you down the road when you do have a death or to help you if you are going through it now here's what you here's like it scott it is it's it's the most antagonizing they say the kids were going to be triggered i'm triggered because yeah. this is so stupid. Well, you know, a lot of people who were, is this dumb should be involved in education. Period. Uh, it's amazing how when they raised the Chinese flag above the Markham City Hall in 2019, just on the eve of the pandemic, while the two Michaels were still being held in China uh, in support of the Chinese Communist Party, they raised the flag uh, to celebrate a anniversary in China and people went nuts. That's a trigger. This isn't a trigger. This is anti-monarchy. This is this is there's there's no, who said to anything. you who this said to you, any part of our culture. Honestly, this is because <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. There, there, not only is it we're talking about the colonial stuff, which is you know taking a shot at everything that's happened in our history, and again we can have that discussion. But it's also, as I say, Scott, it's way more than that. It's just idiocy at the highest level with this idea that our children are such buttercups that they couldn't possibly handle even the faintest whiff of something that might be real life, lest they break down and fall into the fetal position, sucking their thumb and a teacher's going to have to like call some sort of, you know, hospital to help them. This is insanity. And as I said a moment ago, anybody who's involved in a decision like this should immediately have any license to be involved in education revoked. These people have lost it completely lost it. Again, I think the triggering is just an excuse for a bigger issue. I really do. That's just their excuse that they're using. Here's the other thing that, that gets me about this. It's one thing that they did this. It's one thing that on you know, a funeral of a historic figure, they're not going to cover it. They're not going to teach it. It's one thing to make that decision. It's another thing to think everyone would accept it and be fine with it, and there'd be no blowback. Like, how silly, how stupid can you be to think that you could make this decision? And nobody would care. That's not, it's not hard to understand this at all. And the reason is because they have probably in all likelihood, all the people making these decisions are of like mind. So they have surrounded themselves in an echo chamber and nobody thought that this was a bad idea because nobody disagreed with it. And if there was someone who disagreed with it, they were probably terrified to say so because they'd be shot down as being a racist or whatever else. And so you end up with these ideas, no dissenting voice to it because you can't. And all the rest of the people thinking, actually, this is everyone will agree with this because all of my friends agree with this. Everyone I go to cocktail parties with agrees with this. So it (laughs) must be the commonly held view. These people are the outliers. They don't get that they're the outliers, though, because the people they're spending time with are in that small group of extremists. All right. There are people who disagree with the monarchy. Fine. But this is the extreme of the extreme position. And yet somehow your point is bang on. Somehow they thought this was going to be okay because nobody probably thought in their circle to say, you realize that you're on the very fringe, right? 
the very <laughs> fringe, nobody would have said that. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator coming up after the 6 o'clock news, and we have stoked the fire. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Have a good one, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the two Wills for producing. Thanks to Diane and Dave in the newsroom. And as always, thanks to you who leave us with the last word. Well, appropriately, Scott David wrote in to say, Hello, Scott. I cannot even begin to imagine how troubling the woke culture of the York School Board will be on the thousands of students and staff who must be wondering what will happen when a cherished loved one dies. Will they not be allowed to mourn them? Will they not be allowed to speak of them and remember them? Will they not be allowed to honor them? Hopefully the voters of York Region will honor the Queen by voting this group out in the fall election. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.